Yes, a well-oiled machine we have here. <laughs> well-oiled. All right, I have a green light, so you should be hearing me, okay? All right, well, yes, there is much going on. The Holy Spirit is moving in this church and in our community. It really is a wonderful thing to behold how all of this has, uh, with quite a bit of work on the part of everyone here, um, but rather seamlessly compared to some of the conferences within the United Methodist Church that are struggling through this process. And it just, you know, it lends itself so perfectly to the message this morning. I'm continuing in the series of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. This morning I'm in Colossians 1, uh, if you're following along, uh, verses 15 through 28, which I believe are in your bulletin insert. Yes, they are. So uh, as I read the scripture, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, so it's a little bit different wording than what you have there in the insert. But the gist of it is the same. So here we go. This is what Paul writes. He's talking here about the supremacy of Christ. He says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he 
whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. There's a lot to unpack there. I think you'll agree with me. There are several things that we need to take note of. For example, when Paul talks about Jesus as the image of the invisible God, what exactly does he mean? To understand Paul's meaning, we have to understand the mind of the Greek audience to whom Paul is writing this passage. See, in the Greek mind, images are tangible expressions of the mystic, of the supernatural, of of the divine realm. So to a Greek Gentile Christian who is seeking to understand just who is this Jesus person, Jesus as an image of the invisible God is an expression of the divine incarnation of God into human form. See, to the Greek mind, Paul is saying that Jesus is the incarnation, the very substance of God's purpose and intention for us, his creation. And Paul calls Jesus the firstborn over all creation. Now, we need to examine this carefully because we don't ever want to misunderstand this phrase, firstborn over all creation, to mean that Paul was saying that Jesus was created. No, 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 no. We never want to go there. See, remember, Jesus Christ is a person of the triune God. He is in substance and station God. If that weren't so, there could be no Trinity. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus is the pattern, the template, by whom God's perfect and divine purposes and plan are perfectly revealed to his creation. In other words, Jesus is the model to which we all should strive to become. Paul then talks about this integrated nature of creation. All things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things, Paul says, have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. He himself, Jesus, is before all things and in Jesus all things hold together. See, Jesus is intimately involved. He's at the center of creation. All of creation. No exceptions. Things that are seen and things that are unseen. He has this authority over the physical realm and over the spiritual realm. And those realms aren't separate, but rather they're woven together in Jesus. And they're ultimately in submission to Jesus so that God's purpose for us will be accomplished. See, we tend to think in terms of the divine somewhere over there that maybe someday, hopefully, if we stay on our our sanctifying journey, we will attain. And the material, the the physical, the, the world in which we live, we tend to think of those as being completely separate. 
Well, Jesus is the bridge. He's, he's the tapestry. And all the threads of the tapestry are woven together. The physical world, the spiritual world, it's all under Jesus' control. In verses 19 and 20, Paul says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. There's so much deep theology there. It's, it's hard for us to grasp in, in 15 or 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. But essentially, this, this passage requires us to meditate on it. Because Paul is describing this divine action of God where God acted fully and completely through Christ. Nothing is lacking in God's reconciliation of his fallen creation. That's you and me and indeed the entire universe. Nothing is lacking in God's reconciliation of his creation back to him because of the sacrifice of his only son, Jesus, on the cross. Fullness. Here where Paul is describing it means completeness nothing's left out there's nothing still to be done the work of reconciliation is done the abolishment of sin and death is done it's done through christ our lord when when jesus said it is finished he meant it it's done and so that makes the next few verses in Paul's letter, very interesting to me. He says, and you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death. That's Jesus has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you and me holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. What Jesus did on the cross for us was he made you and me sinless in the sight of God. Verse 23. We like to leave this one out. Provided that. Right? He did all these things. But there is some responsibility on our part, provided that we continue securely established and steadfast in our faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that we've heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. See, Paul is describing this conditional relationship between our actions and God's redemptive actions. We can look at different translations and, and see if this becomes more clear to us. In the New King James Version, it reads, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he, God, has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, 
and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven. Maybe it's still not clear enough, so I'm going to try again with a different version. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which was preached to every creature under heaven, then you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now God has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. You see, there's a condition. The things that God has done for us, we will reap the benefits of that if we will do certain things. What are they? Continue in the faith. And, and not just on paper. Continue in the faith grounded and steadfast. In other words, not just, not just in name only Christians, but through practice of our faith, Christians. And if we're not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which, by the way, has been preached to all of creation. If we will do those things, then what God has done for us will become manifest in our lives. See, once again, we have to be careful how we understand this, lest we drift into some kind of incorrect works-based interpretation of what Paul is saying. Understand first that salvation, we call it justification as Methodists, is a free gift from God that cannot be earned by works. We know that, right? Salvation's a free gift. We, we know that. Did, did somebody roll a bus of Presbyterians in here this morning? We know that, right? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Understand first that salvation is a free gift from God and can't be earned by works. Paul is saying that once we're reconciled through Jesus Christ, by his pouring out of his blood on the cross, then we have this responsibility. And, and really, even the variability through the power of the Holy Spirit who works in our lives towards sanctification, we now have the responsibility to remain on that sanctifying road by continuing in the faith, remaining grounded and steadfast, Paul says, in the hope of the gospel, which we've heard, even right here this very morning, just now. The message version says it like this. You yourselves are a case study of what God does. That's interesting. At one time, you all had your backs turned on God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. Must be talking about somebody else. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the gospel. Careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other gospel, just this one, and every creature under heaven gets the same gospel. 
So the question, there's always a question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is, have you taken upon yourself the personal responsibility to continue in your faith and remain grounded and steadfast in the hope of the gospel? Something to think about. Ask yourself, where am I on the sanctifying road? Have, have I even taken the first step on the road, which is to invite Jesus to be the Lord, the Savior of my life personally? See, justification is the first step on the road of sanctification. And in justification, you have this responsibility to ask in order to begin the journey. That's not works based. That's personal accountability. Jesus knocks at the door. He doesn't break the door down. When he knocks. My advice for everyone is to open the door and allow him inside. See, if you're already on the road to sanctification, there's always the opportunity to take side roads, back roads, rabbit trails. Because the road is long. and matter of fact, it's lifelong that we're on. On the road trip of sanctification, the roadside diversions and distractions and temptations of the world beckon to us like Bucky's billboards. We're enticed to stop and indulge in what the world has to offer away from the main road. Now, don't be the only thing that you carry from this message. The pastor says we can't stop at Bucky's anymore. <laughs> that is not where I'm going with this. The comparison that I'm trying to draw here is that distractions of sin in the world are like Bucky's billboards. They're super enticing. You can't. Look at that big circle with the with the beaver's face in the middle of it and not think, you know what? I, mean, I, I don't I got time to make the exit to Bucky's because there's stuff there that I need. There's there's beaver nuggets. They oh my goodness. There's stuff there that you need in your life. Right. The thing is, you don't really need it unless you're gas meter is is over on empty there's other places you know you don't have to pull into bucky's and let's face it your tank of gas it might be expensive but the stuff you spend uh, the money you spend at bucky's because you chose to stop there instead of a shell station talk about inflation it's the bucky's factor the point is that we run this road of sanctification with the focus and the perseverance of a cross-country runner. The road is lined with spectators who want to see how you are running your race towards sanctification. 
And how you run your race is a witness and it's a testimony to a non-believing world. So be careful to run with integrity and stay on course. Don't be diverted by all the distractions. See, the author of Hebrews wrote so wisely, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. See, when we look to Jesus and ignore the Bucky's billboards of life that, that pop up miles ahead, by the way, and give you plenty of time to contemplate how much do I need those nuggets, 92 miles to Bucky's. I can do a lot of thinking about nuggets in 92 miles. And that's the way life is with its distractions. We have so much time to contemplate the crazy fun we might have for a limited time only with the sins and distractions of the world. But the truth is those things are fleeting and the promise that they make to fulfill the God-shaped hole in your heart is an empty promise because there's only one thing that will fill that desire for you, and that's Jesus Christ. End of story. There is nothing else that will fill that hole for you. That hole in your soul is God-shaped. Only one thing can fill it, Jesus Christ. And so don't be distracted and pulled off of the narrow road that leads to eternal life by all the stuff that's promised in the world. It will not deliver. There's only one thing that does. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.